Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 229 of The Informed Catholic. Episode 229 of The Informed Catholic. We are now in the fourth week of Advent. This is going to be the readings for the fourth week of Advent, Wednesday, fourth week of Advent. So before we go any further, please subscribe and share to my podcast. It will be a great help. It will let Spotify and Anchor know that you like this podcast. And it will let all the other podcast platforms know that you enjoy this podcast. It will also encourage me to continue making this podcast. And I do enjoy making it. So now that we are got that out of the way, let's begin our uh, our act of penance in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. And may Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri Elision, Kiri Elision, Kiri Elision, Christe Elision, Christe Elision, Christe Elision, Kiri Elision, Kiri Elision, Kiri Elision. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. Your salvation comes quickly. Why with grief are you consumed? For sorrow has stricken you. I will save you. Fear not, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Drop dew, you heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain the just one. O God, who glances us by the annual expectation of our redemption, grant that we, who now receive with joy your only begotten Son as our Redeemer, may behold him without fear when he comes as our... Judge, even the same Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, the opening antiphon, the entrance antiphon. It's from Isaiah 9, verse 5, and Psalms parts of Psalm 72, verse 17. A child, a child shall be born for us, and he will be called God the Almighty. Every tribe of the earth shall be blessed in him. A child shall be born for us, and he will be called God the Almighty. Every tribe of the earth shall be blessed in him. A child shall be born for us, and he shall be called God the Almighty. Every tribe of the earth shall be blessed in him. The prayer, Almighty ever-living God, as, as we see how the nativity of your Son according to the flesh draws near, we pray that to us, your unworthy servants, mercy may flow from your word. We choose to become flesh of the, who choose to be flesh of the Virgin Mary and establish among us his dwelling. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Almighty, ever-living God, as we see how the nativity of your Son, according to the flesh, draws near, we pray that to us, your unworthy servants, mercy may flow from your word, who choose to become flesh of the Virgin Mary and establish among us his dwelling, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so let's read the first book. The first reading is from the book of the prophet Malachi. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A reading from the holy prophet Malachi. Thus says the Lord God, Lo, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and suddenly they will come to the temple, the Lord whom you seek, and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. Yes, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 
But who will endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire, or like the fuller's lie. He will sit refining and purifying silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, refining them like gold or like silver, that they may offer due sacrifices to the Lord. Then the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord, as in the days of old, as in years gone by. Lo, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes, the great and terrible day to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with doom. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One more time. I'll read it. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, 23 to 24. A reading from the book of the prophet Malachi. Thus says the Lord God, Lo, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And suddenly there will come to the temple the Lord whom you seek and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. Yes, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who will endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire, or like the fuller's lie. He will sit refining and purifying silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi, refining them like gold or like silver, that they may offer due sacrifices to the Lord. That they may offer due sacrifices to the Lord. Then the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord, as in the days of old, as in years gone by. Lo, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes, the great and terrible day to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with doom. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is the part we're going to sort of like go detail, go, we're going to dissect it here a little bit. Thus says the Lord God. God is speaking to us through Malachi the prophet. Now, remember, the prophet, the messenger, doesn't lose their free will. He doesn't lose, the, the messenger does not lose their individuality. In a sense, the messenger, the desire of the messenger becomes the desire of God. The desire of God becomes the messenger. There's a deep relationship the prophet has with God. And the prophet, in many cases, starts feeling the pain and anguish that God experiences and feels because the people are ignoring him. The people of the covenant are ignoring him. So let's just go into this here. Lo, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. Now he's saying to prepare the way before me. This is personal to God. Now the word messenger often, uh, if you ever look at the icons of the Orthodox, there's icons with John the Baptist with wings like an angel. It's not saying that John Baptist, John the Baptist isn't, was an angel disguised as a human, but the word messenger, angel, and the messenger of the covenant. Remember, God did send angels. He, he, sent, he did send an angel. Gabriel, who announced to Zechariah, and we can say for certain, definitely, that he, the angel probably appeared to Elizabeth after Zechariah was struck numb 
dumb. And then um, the angel Gabriel appeared six months later on the sixth month to the Blessed Mother, the Theotokos, and gave her the message. So, in a sense, the, the Eastern Orthodox got it right. It just looks kind of odd to us because icons are part of our lives, but we don't necessarily take them as... Um, we're not very an icon. I mean, we are an icon people, but I hate to say it, we're kind of a little bit of an afterthought, sadly. But in a sense, it's it's correct. It's correct. You know, John the Baptist is the messenger of the covenant. God, uh, God has made him kind of like almost an angelic messenger, but he is not an angel. He is the messenger of the covenant. He is the one who will prepare the way, to prepare the way for God. Now, we'll go a little further. And suddenly there will come to the temple the Lord whom you seek. It's kind of dramatic and very ominous. Suddenly there will come to the temple the Lord whom you seek, the Lord Messiah, the Lord Christ. Jesus himself does come, but not the way they thought, but it was very dramatic, but it was very shocking. They they failed to recognize it, maybe we will see. And the messenger of the covenant whom you desire, yes, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. The Christ has his own personal herald, and that herald was John the Baptist. But who will endure the day of his coming? Who will be able to handle it? The people, as we can see, many of them, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle the 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 cross-examination that Christ gave. They couldn't handle the changes that were happening. They couldn't handle the way God appeared to them. They could not, they could not endure it. They could not endure what they were seeing. It was too much for them. Um, and then we'll go a little further here. And who can stand when he appears? Who can stand it? I mean, we've seen how the people reacted, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, how they reacted towards, towards our Lord. They couldn't, they, they, they could not handle it. Um, for he is like a refiner's fire. His, a refiner's fire. It's like, um, you know, when a person makes gold or silver or a, a master blacksmith, they have to get rid of the impurities. And it's almost like a purgatory thing. In a sense, confessing your sins, confessing and putting yourself out and seeing all the imperfections about yourself, the things that you're denying, the things that you're holding back from God, the things that you don't want to let go. Uh, In a sense, we can look at that, a refiner's fire, sort of a very self-purging, in a sense, almost like purgatory. In a sense, maybe it is purgatory. We can say it is purgatory. We very rarely ever hear it, but that's exactly what what a refiner is. Remember, Paul said everyone will be tested through fire. In other words, we will be put through the test. Whatever we held back, whatever sins we hold on to, personal sins, as much as we struggle to be to be true to God, but often we're not true to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. A refiner's fire. And he goes on here, uh, or like a, like a fuller's lie, like a person who basically bleaches clothing or something like a, you know, sort of like a serious bleaching and the bleaching that could, in a sense, remove, purify and remove the stain of some clothing or something. Uh, So dangerous that even sometimes it could even affect your skin. It could remove the pigmentation of your skin if it's not done properly. Um, And it goes on. Uh, Refining them like gold or like silver purifying the gold and purifying the silver, that each person will will come out purified in the eyes of God like gold or silver, that they may offer due sacrifice to the Lord. Once we confess our sins, once we admit that we are sinners, once we admit the truth, of, once we admit that we are not true to God, and once we, we come out true to God, pure, 
we could offer ourselves completely to God. Completely. And then it goes on. The sac- then the, sac- the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord. The people of Israel, once they're, conf- once they're converted, they will be, their, what, uh, their prayers and their sacrifices will be pleasing to the Lord. As in the days of old, as in years gone by, when the Israelites were traveling through the desert as wanderers, pilgrims, which is a picture of us here on earth. We are like wanderers and pilgrims. We're, we're living in different nations and we are uh, enduring the drama of history. Like what we're going through now with this shutdown and this COVID and, the, and people are, are um, attacking religions uh, and often the, our um, priests and our bishops and our cardinals and our, our, our clergy, not all of them are falling under the pressure of the princes of the world, the world of men, the world of the governors and the rulers that we have to submit to Caesar. You know, we're, we're, living, we're living through the drama of history, just like the Jews had to live through the drama of history. In during the during the years of the covenant before the kings under the Moses and Aaron and the judges and then under David and then past the times of David they had to go through the drama of history and the church had to go through the drama of history the drama remember you know when the Lord when the incarnation happened everything changed our our history became his history. It became everything was towards him. And we have to live through the drama of history ourselves. We have to endure what was going on, what's going on with us, with this world and everything. We have to live and we have to, we are being put to the test of, of the, of history, our faith. You know, the church gone through, the church was always defined when it did with crisis of heresy. We're going through this, we're going through this crisis right now. We're going through this crisis right now. We we have to clean up the mess. Sooner or later, God will raise up holy men and whole and holy people for Himself that will have to clean up the mess. And you know, because everything that's happening, the heresies, is causing these plagues to come out. Our sins cause evil. When we sin, we cause evil. We have to pay the price. If we're not willing to confess our sins, then God will make us holy in another way because we have to be purified. This is what's happening with us here. As in the days of old, years gone by, lo, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Don John the Baptist is not a reincarnation of Elijah, but he comes in the spirit and manner of, and zeal of Elijah. All right. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and terrible day to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Least I come and strike the land with doom. Conversion. Conversion. It could mean literally children to their parents, but also it could mean our spiritual fathers in the church the men who are supposed to be our shepherds. He will turn the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. There will be that proper relationship with with our spiritual fathers, our spiritual shepherds, or our parents. It could be both family, home, and church because the church is an extension of our family. That is where we learn the word of God. That is when we learn how to live as the people of God. So so John the Baptist, when he came, he prepared people. He told them, he preached them, he warned them to get ready, to be prepared. If he may not have understood it, but maybe in many ways he did, you know, not right away. Who knows? We, there's a lot we don't understand. But John the Baptist knew that, that his, his mission was to prepare the people, to prepare them for, for the, the fulfillment of the covenant and then next stage of salvation history. All right, let's go to um, the psalm. And then we'll go to the gospel. 
Um, the psalm is from Psalm 25, and the responsorial is, Lift up your heads and see, your redemption is near at hand. Lift up your heads and see, your redemption is near at hand. Your ways, O Lord, make known to me. Teach me your paths, guide me in your truth, and teach me, for you are a for you are God my Savior. Lift up your heads and see, your redemption is near at hand. Good and upright is the Lord, thus he shows sinners the way. He guides the humble to justice, he teaches the humble his way. Lift up your heads and see, your redemption is near at hand. All the paths of the Lord are kindness and, and consistency towards those who keeps his covenant and his decrees. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him and his covenant for their instruction. Lift up your heads and see your redemption is near at hand. Now I'll read the whole psalm without the, uh, the response. Your ways, O Lord, make known to me. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are a God, for you are God my Savior. Good and upright is the Lord, thus he shows sinners the way. He guides the humble to justice. He teaches the humble his ways. All the paths of the Lord are kindness and consistency towards those who keep his covenant and his decrees. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him and his covenant for their instruction. You know, uh, before we go to the gospel, you notice the words here? Okay, notice the things that stand out. Your ways, O Lord, make known to me. Teach me your paths. Teach me your ways. Teach me how to walk, how you want me to be. Guide me in your truth and teach me. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are, for you are God, my Savior. Okay, you are God, my Savior. Notice the words that stand out. Make known to me. Teach me your path. Your truth, teach me. You are God, my Savior. So he, the, 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 the God, the, the Savior God was always in the Old Testament. You know how I've always heard people say the God of the Old Testament is, is harsh and cruel. Really? I just read to you when Malachi, God wants to save people. God wants to save humanity. He wants us. He always wanted to save us. This is because people who don't live in a very religious life, people who live in a very materialistic world, as Fulton Sheen said, will always have a neg negativity towards religion because they don't want to change. They don't want to convert. They like their materialistic sinful lifestyle. And so they will not give the time of day towards religion. And they will always come up with a negativity towards religion, towards conversion in order to justify their way they're living. This is, you're going to get this all the time. You're going to get this with your relatives and you'll, and you'll be surprised. You're going to get this with priests. You're going to get this with clergy. Everybody is equal. The priest may be consecrated, his hands and his life, he may have consecrated it, but the fact is he, ha he is legitimately a consecrated person who goes to the altar and can say communion. But he doesn't necessarily have to be converted. He could still go to hell. Same thing with the Pope. The position is a sacred position and we should not question it. The other day I was listening to two Franciscans and they were going on about, oh yeah, it's too bad there's a, cl a glass ceiling and that women can't, can't, you know, can't, go, uh, can't go further. That's not for them to do. That's not for them to judge. They're trying to be both holy and trying to be like the world. They, they were both priests, consecrated men. There are a lot of Orthodox women who like the orthodoxy of the faith and don't desire the position to become priests. All the women who live in Hasidic Judaism, are they, are, are they backwards women because they, they respect the position of men? No. They respect it. They respect it. And they do not, they're not backwards and they, they don't want to change. They like their orthodoxy and they like the position that the men have and they like their position as women. 
you know, and they have to stop this wishy-washy behavior that some of these priests have because they want to be politically correct. And they think that their church has a position that is wrong. No, I don't think they should be priests. You can't be both. You can't be with the world and in the church. It's impossible. And you cannot, you know, you cannot always question the ways of God. That's it. All right. So um, good and upright is the Lord that he shows sinners the way. He shows sinners the way to redemption, to forgiveness. He guides the humble to justice. He teaches the humbles his ways, his ways of the law, his ways of forgiveness, his ways of redemption, and his ways of being just. All the paths of the Lord are kindness and consistency towards those who keep his covenant and his decrees. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him and his covenant for their instruction. Fear of the Lord. Fear of basically cutting yourself away. When you sin, you cut yourself away from the Lord and you basically find yourself not his friend because you have chosen your weak, selfish ways. You've chosen to be selfish and you've chosen idolatry. Selfishness is idolatry. All right, so let's go to the gospel. All right. The Alleluia Antiphon. Alleluia, Alleluia. O King of all nations and keystone of the church, come and save man whom you formed from the dust. Alleluia, Alleluia. Once more. Alleluia, Alleluia. O King of all nations and keystone of the church, come and save man whom you formed from the dust. Alleluia, Alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 57 to 66, the birth of John the Baptist, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. When the time arrived for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord has shown his great mercy towards her, and they rejoiced with her. When they came on the eighth day to circumcise the child, they were going to call him Zachariah after his father. But his mother said in reply, No, he will be called John. But they answered her, There is no one among your relatives who has this, this name. So they made signs asking his father what he wished him to be called. He asked for a tablet and wrote, John is his name. And all were amazed. Immediately, his mouth was opened, that's Zechariah, his tongue freed, and he spoke bless, uh, blessing God. Then fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these matters were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard these things took them to heart, saying, what then will this child be? For surely the hand of the Lord is with him. All right, so I'm going to read it one more time. It's a story we're all familiar with, right? A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. When the time arrived for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy towards her, and they rejoiced with her. When they came on the eighth day to circumcise the child, they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said in reply, No, he will be called John. But they answered her, There is no one among your relatives who has this name. So they made signs asking his father to what he, he wished him to be called. He asked for a tablet and wrote, John is his name. And all were amazed immediately. Immediately his mouth were opened and his tongue freed and he spoke, blessing God. Then fear came upon all their neighbors and all these matters were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. All, were her, all who heard these things took them to heart, saying, What then will this child be? For surely the hand of the Lord was with him.
gospel of the Lord, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Have you, have you noticed they were making signs to him? So obviously he wasn't just um, unable to speak. He obviously was deaf. So if they were making signs to him, he was deaf. So that's very interesting. Um, it's obvious, I mean, when you look at it, the justice of God. And Elizabeth felt that, it's interesting, Elizabeth really felt that her life, it's not that we're saying that a woman isn't a woman if she doesn't, if she doesn't bear children. But Elizabeth, her joy was to have a child to give birth, to bring life into the world, to be an instrument of life. And she wanted that so desperately. She wanted she wanted a child. Her and her husband both wanted to have this child so that their joy, their joy in this life would be complete. And you see, you know, our faith is constantly proving itself to be a faith of life. We are the people of the incarnation, of the word becoming flesh, which is Jesus Christ. And we are people of life. We're pro-life religion. Most religions are. Most religions are. Even man-made religions like Islam is, they are life religion. They, they want to have children. Uh, most do. And our own, our own religion, our own, our own, um, liturgical readings gives testimony to this as much as the fact that our clergy seem to be very weak in proclaiming it. This is the beautiful thing about our faith is that the Holy Spirit will always get its message through besides the arrogance and the, and the weakness and the effeminacy of some of these men. It will always come through regardless. That's thank, thanks be to God for that. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. Thanks to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that our faith will always proclaim the truth. We are a pro-life religion. We are a pro-life people. Our faith is a pro-life. Our church is a pro-life. Our God is a pro-life. Our gospel is pro-life. And that's important. All right. So now we're going to go to the, um, to the, the day Christ was born. All right. This is my fourth attempt. Unfortunately, it's a very noisy day in Brooklyn and I'm getting interruptions even in my own apartment, unfortunately, but that's okay. We're going to try to get through this and I'll try the best I can to edit out the sounds. Let's begin. Let's say a little prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. On the same night, a bright star appeared in the eastern sky. It came up majestically over the rim of the world and could be plainly seen through the trees of a forest in the mirror of a quiet lake, a blue pearl over a tawny desert, a gem of hope far at sea. It was seen by many people and marked by few people. The star came up blue and white in the orderly orbit of the heavens and it seemed so large that it shed blue shafts of radiance it was beautiful three of the men who studied it were gaspar malchior and balthazar they were rich persians in the southeast and they regarded this new star in the east and stroked their beards with great curiosity these were wise men, scholars, intellectuals who referred who were referred to by history as the Magi and who were known in Persia as philosophers, scientists, astrologers, and followers of Zoroastrianism, a creed which fought the worship of graven idols and believed that there was but one God for all mankind. The Magi were excited about the star. It had two phases of interest for them. One was the physical. Where did the star come from and why had it not appeared in the night sky before? The other was the symbolic. What message was the star trying to convey? 
The three wise men pondered these things and could not come to an agreement on the first premise. One argued that it was not really a star, but a rare conjunction of two or more stars. This could not be so, said the second, because if it were, their paths having converged would soon part and they would be seen as separate stars. Now the third said that the star was really an unknown comet appearing brilliantly in the eastern sky and doomed quietly to pass away from view. Whether it was several stars or planets or in a conjunction or whether it was a fiery body without a visible tail, the star had special meaning. They were sure of this. They consulted some of the old astrological predictions and found nothing that would fit the situation. They tried some of the old Greek text and the Persian text, but found nothing which might apply. It wasn't until they went over the ancient Jewish scriptures that the wise men saw the true meaning of the big star. There was an old prophecy by Balaam which said, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. A star shall rise out of Jacob, and a scepter shall spring up from Israel. The star then would mean that a savior of the Jews had been born. Malchior agreed that if the star could not be explained in any natural manner, this interpretation was important to the Jews. Oh no, said Balthazar, more than the Jews, because Balaam, the prophet, who uttered these words near the end of the 40 years wandering was himself not a Jew. He was a Gentile. In fact, the words according to scripture had been said in the mountains of Moab, east of Israel toward Persia. If so, said Gaspar, then the fact that the star had been seen by Persians and properly interpreted by them properly interpreted by them, would have exciting meanings for the entire world. It was possible that the Messiah had come to save not only the Jews, but the Medes, the Assyrians, the Romans, the Babylonians, and the savages of the Far East. In fact, the whole world. At once the three wise men left their tents and determined to follow the star. They packed food, water, and special trappings that all rich philosophers needed, and started out on camels to find the place of the King of Kings. None of them expected to reach the destination in one night, and there was some disagreement among them about whether the star would appear again on the following night so that its paths could be traced. Toward the dawn, the big star was pale in the western sky, and they turned their slow, plodding camels towards it. They moved across the sands of the desert with the rising sun behind them, and they pitched their tents by day and mounted again when the evening sky turned deep blue, and the big star came up again, a brazen gem, winking along the rim of the sky and earth. If the portent was correct and this star foretold the king of the Jews, then it was important to the Magi to see the king, to pay him homage and bring him gifts. The trip occupied several days. They came through the passes of Moab into Jericho, where the Dead Sea and the river Jordan met. They crossed the river and went up into the Jerusalem. Okay, let me read that passage one more time. They came through the passes of Moab into Jericho, where the Dead Sea and the river Jordan met, and they crossed the river and went up into Jerusalem. 
on the last night they seem to be almost under the big under the big star at a zenith it seemed to be almost overhead in the early evening the three august men went to the temple and stood as was required in the outer court of the gentiles they addressed one of the seven thousand levitical priests and asked excuse us where is the newborn king of the jews it was his star we saw in the east and we came to offer homage to him the man the, the magi appeared to be happy and joyful that they finally made their journey but the levitical priest did not share their joy he summoned the ranking members of the sanhedrin and the magi explained the new star and their interpretation of the happy sign the high priests asked questions and they frowned and said that he knew nothing of such a sign however as a mark of respect to the rich visitors he detailed the beliefs of the jews about the messiah some of which sounded to gentile ears contradictory one of the prophecies was behold the virgin will be pregnant and give birth to a son who will be called emmanuel which means god with us there were others the high priest said one of which mentioned the town of david and you o bethlehem in the land of judah are not the least of judah's principalities for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people israel this said the wise men would appear to be the most promising clue because they approached jerusalem the star was close overhead bethlehem five miles south of the city would be a good place to look they thanked the high priest and camped outside the walls for the night it was decided that if this if the new king was not in bethlehem the wise men would make a few more inquiries and then turn homeward the high priest was vexed he knew that the people of judea have set a great store on, on the signs of the stars and he did not want the ridiculous assumptions of gentiles to become common knowledge among the people suppose there was a baby in bethlehem if the magi found him and adored him the people would hear of it and this might turn them away from the great temple of jerusalem this he could not have he waited until the early watch and stood in the tower over the gold grapes on the east wall of the temple squinting into the night sky it appeared there were there was no star and the priest felt relieved it was about to he was about to descend when a bright light appeared to hang between the jagged peaks of moab he studied it a moment waited and then expelled a long sigh it was a star an unusually large star the high priest reported to the palace of the king of King Herod and relayed the news. The sovereign was insane. He was a dark bearded man with wild rolling eyes, and he had been dying of dying of, of a wasting disease for years. Herod listened to the news on such on, 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 on his couch and ordered the high priest to summon the Magi. He asked their interpretation of the meaning of the big star, and they told him that it should be a, a joy and a comfort to a king so ill to know that in all probability God has sent a savior to take his place. Herod offered some grapes and figs and asked many questions. He appeared to have an economic and uh, academic interest in the new king if there was a new king and he hoped that if the persian philosophers found the baby that they would do him the kindness and courtesy of informing him so that the king could offer his own tribute to this new majesty 
By the way, he said, if the star first appeared, when the baby was born, we should be able to tell the age of the new king by knowing how long the star had been in the sky. Melchior shook his head. We saw the star recently, he said, but it was possible that it had been in the sky perhaps, uh, perhaps on another path for many months. We would doubt this, but it was possible. The three wise men exchanged the three wise men exchanged gifts with Herod and left at once. The mad king called in the council of the, of the nation, the high priests and the scribes, and he demanded that they interpret the symbolism of the new star and do something about it at once. He assured them that if, for example, the star was over Bethlehem, and some unknown infant was there. The stupid people, the streets would spread the news all over Judea and would desert the temple and worst of all, their lawful king in favor of a squalling, whimpering peasant infant. Some of the high priests favored sending spies to follow the Magi, but Herod was opposed to this. No, he said, I have asked them as a courtesy to return to me with whatever news that they may have. I will deal with that situation later. At the moment, I expect you to show some gratitude to the person who rebuilt your temple. Me. Spread the news among the faithful that when the Messiah comes, he will come fully grown on a cloud attended by legions and trumpets of angels. And will come directly to the earthly home of his father in the temple. No one smiled, but some of the priests must have been tempted. They were acquainted with Herod's record. He was the cruelest of all kings in their opinion, and the, far, the farthest removed from God and his works. The people had no chose, the people had not chosen him as their king. Thirty-five years ago, before a Roman emperor had appointed Herod the Great, and for three years the people of Israel were in rebellion. Now he had to contend with an unknown baby. After thirty-five years of sovereignty, Herod was dying slowly and painfully, and he could not even undergo that with, with serenity. A baby intruder, well, he would, he would wait the return of the Magi, and he would deal with the baby in a manner Herod considered to be personal and direct. All right, we moved, we made some uh, some progress there. It was a noisy day. It appears uh, there was some work being done with my neighbor upstairs, and I had some uh, personal interruptions here in my apartment, but we got through it. So. Uh, we're going to end it there, but let's say our novena to Our Lady of Lords in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. O ever immaculate virgin, mother of mercy, health of the sick, refuge of sinners, comforter of the afflicted, you know my wants, my troubles, and my sufferings. Cast upon me a look of mercy by appearing in the grotto of Lords. You were pleased to make it a privileged sanctuary where you dispense your favors and where many sufferers have obtained the cure of their infirmities, both spiritual and corporal. I come, therefore, with the most unbounded confidence to implore your maternal intercession. Obtain, O loving mother, the granting of my requests. Through gratitude for favors, I will endeavor to imitate your virtues, that I may one day share your glory. Amen. Our Lady of Lords, pray for us. Our Lady of Lords, pray for us. Our Lady of Lords, pray for us. Saint Bernadette, pray for us. Novena to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. O most blessed Mother, heart of love, heart of mercy, ever listening, caring, consoling, hear our prayers as your children. We implore your intercession with Jesus, your Son. Receive with understanding and compassion the petitions we place before you today, especially, and now we make our personal Requests here. We are comforted to know in knowing your heart is ever open to those who ask for your prayers. We trust 
to your gentle care and intercession those whom we love and who are sick or lonely or hurting. Help all of us, Holy Mother, to bear our burdens in this life until we may share eternal life and peace with God forever and ever. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be worthy of the promises of Christ. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. All right, folks, we managed to get it through with this one with besides all the interruptions I've been having. But praise be to God, we got it through. And it's we're making some interesting progress in the story. Uh, it's getting interesting. Um, Jim Bishop, um, I think I had to, my own personal license because I don't, just in case I don't want to be accused of copyright, but I added like sort of like tweaked a little bit here and there just to make it interesting, but hope you forgive me for that one. But I just didn't want to, um, you know, I didn't get permission to read it, but just to, uh, I guess you can say, you can say, um, avoid any, any accusations that I was stealing anything, but I, um, I don't think that's, that's something for us to worry about, but I'm glad I was able to share it because I think this is an important time, uh, to do this. And I think, I hope it's helping anybody uh out there um the fact that you know we we need to experience the advent season the christmas season i think this was this is something important we all need it uh we all need to experience christ and we all need to um something that could bring positive hope and we know that christ came into our world and uh i truly believe herod and Herod's massacre of the innocent in Bethlehem is, um, I think, a foreshadowing of abortion, of the slaughter of the young, and the ruthlessness of kings, princes of the earth, men who do not have God in their heart. So anyway, we're going to end it here, and I'll be back, hopefully, with some more for Christmas Eve. So God bless.